This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. You're listening to the Daily Digest on the Bigger Picture. I'm Hezra Lashraf alongside Juliet Jacobs and Dashran Johan. So some have said that the pandemic is an opportunity for nature to hit reset or the reset button and benefit from less human activity, while others have said that this is a warning to humans about the consequences of our actions. This Earth Day, we take a look at how nature has fared in the past year, what should be our priorities in environmental protection before it's too late, and as well as how all of us can start to be more environmentally conscious. Yes, and we want to know what you think. Are you worried concern about climate change and other environmental issues. We have a poll running on our Twitter page at BFM Radio. Your options are yes, it's concerning. The second option, not a priority. And your last option is climate change is a myth. So um, but, uh, do share your thoughts. You can drop a comment under the poll. You can also WhatsApp us 018-789-8899. Yes, but to kickstart our segment today, here's a little bit of Hari Inidalam Sajara about Earth Day. So the first Earth Day was held in the United States 51 years ago on the 22nd of April 1970. And it was the brainchild of Senator Gaylord Nelson, who had long been concerned about the deterioration of the environment in the United States. Then in January 1969, he was spurred into action after witnessing the ravages of the massive oil spill in Santa Barbara in California. So working together with Pete McCloskey, a conservation-minded Republican congressman, and also Dennis Hayes, a young activist, they came up with a plan to hold events across the country, which was then named Earth Day, to rally Americans behind a united cause and to call for policy changes. Yep, and, and clearly it worked, right? The first Earth Day <laughs> saw millions of people taking to the streets and cities and towns across the, the United States. And because of the common values behind Earth Day, it received support from both sides of the political aisle and across socioeconomic classes. So by the end of 1970, the U.S. created environmental protection agencies and they also passed uh, you know, the first of their kind in uh, environmental laws. That's right. But Earth Day didn't go global until 20 years later in 1990 when it mobilized around 200 million people and pushed environmental issues onto the spotlight. So that Earth Day also paved the way for the 1992 UN Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil, which resulted in the creation of key conventions, including the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change and the Convention on Biological Diversity. Yes, so fast forward 51 years later, um, after the first Earth Day, countries across, across the world have been commemorating Earth Day for decades now, of course, and yet many of the issues highlighted over the years have sadly remained the same. <laughs> um, now the fight for a clean environment continues, of course, with increasing urgency and we don't need to look far to see the ravages of climate change becoming more and more apparent and that's why we need to keep fighting for the environment. You know, there's things like Mm. prolonged dry periods, worsening floods, coral reef bleaching, continued logging of our forests, um, poaching, illegal trade of wildlife, you know, the list just goes on. It just sounds like everything that, you know, uh, Juliet would lose sleep (laughs) over, you know, it's just everything that matters (laughs) speaks again. So so, uh, looking at at this year, um, you know, the theme for this year is uh, to restore is Restore Our Earth, which focuses on natural processes, emerging green technologies and innovative innovative thinking that can restore the world's ecosystems. So practically what all of this means is that, you know, um, it rejects the notion that the only ways that we can address climate change is to mitigate or adapt to, you know, the changes that are happening. So, you know, we shouldn't just be responding or thinking that certain events are 
inevitable. Um, and all of this comes at a time when the pandemic and its effects could, you know, really be that wake up call. We need to, we need, you know, to rethink how we've been addressing climate change. Yeah. And, you know, when COVID-19, when the pandemic hit us, you know, and much of the world went into lockdowns, uh, this, of course, was in March last year. It seemed like this was a good opportunity for us to kind of hit that reset button, mm. right? And for Mother Nature to kind of bounce back. And many of us were actually delighted with all those photographs and news reports of animals exploring emptied emptied streetways and waterways like um, in Istanbul, Turkey, you know, busy waterways quieted down and the lull in traffic saw dolphins mm. actually swimming and jumping in the waters again. Mm. And over in Nara in Japan, Sika deer were seen wandering through city streets and subway stations and <laughs> over here in Penang, you know, it was even re- uh, reported that dusky leaf monkeys were spotted roaming around freely as popular tourist spots were devoid of <laughs> those other monsters, the humans. <laughs> yes. That's right. Very nice. Um, but it's not just the wild. Another reason why many saw this as an opportunity for nature to bounce back was because of the dramatic drop in air pollution all across the world, especially in the early months of the pandemic. So you don't have to see the numbers to believe this, right? As industry shut down and traffic both in the air and on land almost disappeared, it's logical that emissions would go would also go down and satellite data from NASA did show just that. Yeah, and if we look at uh, laws and policies, uh, there was also a significant push towards better regulation as well as enforcement when it comes to uh, illegal wildlife trade. Uh, For example, China quickly clamped down and banned uh, you know, wildlife food trade in their mm. borders, you know, but, you know, I'm thinking, you know, how long would, would, will these changes last, right? Are we doing enough to ensure that we create long-term sustainable changes to better address environmental issues, as well as climate change? Now, looking inward, you know, with the uncertainties after the, the change in government last year, as well as the emergency ordinance this year that was declared, um, you know, I, I haven't, we have, I don't think we've been seeing uh, a lot of discussions and actions, right, to take and to uh, specifically address um, environmental issues, you know, in a, in a meaningful way. Yeah, it seems to be on the back burner mm-hmm. at the moment, right? Mm-hmm. And the question remains if the pandemic will be a wake up call that we all need, uh, you know, to get us making those necessary changes in our daily lives, to reduce our carbon footprint and to live more sustainably as well. But I guess one thing's for sure, you know, for many of us, the lockdowns have made us appreciate green spaces more and made us want to visit these pockets of nature that we still have across the country. Um, so hopefully we can capitalise on that to get more people rallying behind the environment. Mm. And, and, you know, I'm sure, I mean, we all of us, all three of us have been talking uh, about this off air, even right now. Um, I'm sure we've all been outdoors often, mm. um, you know, Julian and Dash. I mean, yeah, that's been the case, no? Yes. yes. I mean, after the first MCO where we just couldn't go yeah. out, right? Now that, you know, there's some leeway, I suppose, any chance I can get out to somewhere green just to take the kids out, just to just to get out of the mm. house, right? But of course, you know, it's that whole socially uh, physical distancing yeah. and all of that, right? Mm. So green spaces seem to be wonderful for mm, that. Yes. And I, I think we don't really realise how much we would crave it or how important it is when, you know, the pandemic, in the pre-pandemic time, right? Because we could always go to parks, we could always go on vacations, beaches, nature, anything. But over the pandemic, so you, I don't really think about it. I don't appreciate it as much. But over the past year, mm. because of the pandemic, where we couldn't go out, you know, even hiking was a scary thing. Yeah. Beaches <laughs> was a scary thing. So you, you start to miss it and you start to realise just how much you crave it. And mm. I still haven't like really gone out to nature as much as I would like to. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, I'm really missing it. I would really love to 
too. I mean, the, the number of times people have asked me, you know, if I want to go along with them to like waterfalls that I had never even <laughs> like knew existed in Selangor mm-hmm. alone, right? We're not talking about like the whole of the country here. We're talking about Selangor um, and, and the, the, you know, just the you know, crazy amount of destinations that you can go to, to, to get in touch with nature. But I, you know, I think one thing um, that uh, I think, you know, JJ mentioned, uh, Juliet mentioned just now, right, that the pandemic, you know, could the pandemic be a wake up call to be more environmentally conscious? Like, I want to say yes, but also, like, considering the amount of things, like, at least that I've been ordering on, on, um, for food delivery services, it's like, it, you know, it's like it's inevitable that you're going to use plastic wrappings because mm-hmm. you have to wrap the food properly. They want to keep things hygienic, uh, you know, to reduce, uh, you know, um, infections. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to be the cynic, but I don't think it's no. yeah. yeah I, like it made people more health conscious, definitely. But environment, did it, I don't think yeah. so. No. no, did it make people more conscious? I don't, I don't know. know. I would <laughs> like to think so. I would like to think so. But environment, I think, I don't know. Is people just don't maybe it's too big of a concept even for myself right mm-hmm. like when the pandemic is happening of course you're happy that when you hear these stories like you know animals are out yeah. you know like places are looking greener cleaner mm-hmm. and and things like that that's great but i don't think you know it really clicks in people like mm-hmm. the, the kind of day-to-day sort of things that they're doing to really cause this yeah. you know yeah and i can give you a very clear example of people not caring look at how many mm-hmm. face masks uh, disposable ones that we see littered mm-hmm. right and it's entered every single you know yeah. waterways mm-hmm. i remember last year uh, when when travel was allowed, I went up to Fraser's Hill. Um, all the way up there, you know, just walking in the middle of a jungle, mm. there was a face mask, you mm. know, right? Even there. And, and I actually saw, uh, on that note, I saw someone, um, I think a Twitter post saying that when we dispose of our masks, we should That's actually right. cut yes. the strings. Is that yes. is that right, Juliet? That is what they said, because um, animals kind of get uh, mm. stuck in it, you know, yeah. and it goes into the waterways. Mm. So uh, some of them tend to get uh, birds as well. They tend to um, suffocate, actually, yeah. from that yeah. when they get stuck in mm. it. So it's just... Yeah, I yeah, don't know. And how many I, of us actually cut the strings before oh, we? Yeah. You know? yeah. So, oh, yeah. well, so. on that note, uh, you know, share us your thoughts uh, on this Earth Day. You know, what do you think? And head to our Twitter poll as well. You can tweet us at BFM Radio or WhatsApp us at zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. We're gonna head for a quick break, but when we come back, we'll be speaking uh, with Natasha Zulaika from My Hutan, which is a youth campaign to ensure financing for forest conservation uh, and and make sure that it's institutionalized in, in the you know federal conservation. So Natasha has also been working in conservation efforts. So we'll be getting her thoughts on how the environment has been affected by the pandemic and, you know, the priorities for Malaysia moving forward. So don't go anywhere. Keep it here on the Daily Digest on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to the Daily Digest on the Bigger Picture. I'm, I'm Hezra Lashroff alongside Juliet Jacobs and Dashran Johan. And today we're commemorating Earth Day, uh, which is celebrated globally every year on the 22nd of April. And uh, before the break, we briefly you know, took a look at the history of Earth Day and how the pandemic has reminded us of the importance, uh, the importance of taking better care of uh, the environment. That's right. And we want to know what you think. We have a poll running on our Twitter page and we're asking you, are you worried or concerned about climate climate change and other environmental issues. So your options are yes, it's concerning, not a priority, and also your final option, climate change is a myth. So you can drop a comment under the poll. You can also WhatsApp us, 018-789-8899. Yes, but now we have joining us on the line to share her thoughts on how we can do better when it comes to environmental activism, uh, as well as the role of youths. And that's Natasha Zulaika, who, in, who is part of My Hutan, which is a youth campaign to ensure financing for forest 
conservation uh, is, you know, does become institutionalized in the federal conservation. Um, so thank you so much for joining us, Natasha. Um, let's just look back at 2020, right? There was a lot of hope in the early months that we reduced human activity. This was an opportunity for nature to bounce back. But, uh, you know, now more than a year later, we've also seen how quickly industries um, and life really has returned to some level of normalcy. Do you think that the pandemic and lockdowns did benefit the environment in any way? I guess globally, um, it has um, have positive uh, brought some positive change in terms of greenhouse gas emissions. I think that would be the most efficient. People just it was just impossible for people to just fly. Now you can't just buy a ticket and be like, okay, ciao, going to Singapore. People can't do that. And um, my guess is that the greenhouse emissions would have definitely. Uh, dropped and it's for the greater of our planet lah, you know, uh, because it gives it time to breathe a bit. Although it's still, I feel it's still inefficient um, to actually overcome a huge climate crisis. You know, it's not enough, but it goes to show that it can, it can be done. So um, as for wildlife that keeps appearing, it's nice to see videos like that, like suddenly otters are playing, but I guess again, this shows. Uh, this goes to show that actually, nature in itself is doing fine without us, with or without us, it will thrive. And I think it's nice that people would say that nature is coming back. But I'm a bit over on the realist side. That yeah, it's nice to see them because we're finally locked in, uh, and I think it serves as a good reminder to people instead of actually bringing some kind of benefit to the environment. <laughs> It's nice to just see them, lah, you know, but to me, it's, it's you see that now because we're locked in. Because I was surprised to get uh, calls. So I have a, I used to have a colleague in Pahang and we have this one stretch of road that literally splits two forests. And on a normal day, we will always see road kills. Um, there is not one day I have dro- driven down that road and not seen like a civet or uh, something, a small mammal at least. But uh, during the pandemic, so we thought that there's less traffic on the road, lockdown, people cannot uh, travel interstate. But there was still road kills and for signi- pretty significant animals to me, like endangered animals, pangolins. He, even in the lockdown, there were two pangolins that got hit by a truck. So it, it, it's a bit, a bit devastating at the same time for me. All right. And so, you know, Natasha, you just started, uh, you know, on your PhD with the management and ecology of Malaysian elephants. Uh, but before this, you you were with MyCat, which focuses on conservation efforts for the Malayan tiger. Um, and, you know, did you see any impact of the pandemic on big mammals or specifically uh, tiger conservation? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because um, for one, it was the lockdowns made it difficult for us to go to um, to the field, and uh, we couldn't carry on things like anti-poaching patrols led by volunteers. We usually have we bring in people from KL, we go up to Pahang, and we patrol that one specific area. And because of the lockdown, we couldn't do that, and uh, we couldn't even check on the community rangers who were there, and they weren't really, and they were too scared to even work. So that has provided like a gap for poaching activities to, you know, take their, this is their time to go, basically. And um, that that was the big, 
concern for us. We were in KL wondering like, okay, we only have that small patch for tigers. And here we are in KL not being able to do that. It's, we know there are people that are hunting them down. Okay, it's interesting you brought up poaching because the pandemic has highlighted some environmental issues, especially the illegal wildlife trade because of its ties to COVID-19. But do you think the pandemic, while highlighting some of these issues, has also pushed back other equally important environmental concerns, especially here in Malaysia? I think it's still a lot of push and pull um, between a lot of environmental issues because there are, with the change of the government as well, uh, there were some acts or policies that were supposed to be implemented. For example, the transboundary haze policy, um, because of the pandemic, because of the change in the government. So that uh, enact, that policy was never enacted. Uh, Malaysia was one of uh, Malaysia was the first to ratify this um, treaty among the ASEAN countries, and 18 years later, we still haven't enacted it. And when we finally had a leader in the government to say, like, "Hey, let's let's do something about it," boom, <laughs> pandemic, and boom, change of government. And that's not the only one. Um, the marine debris policy by Yobin was supposed to be led by her, but again, pandemic came. Uh, change of government happened it's been quiet and I know of a few changes that was meant to be done in the wildlife conservation act and same reason we we don't know what's going on so there has been a lot of highlights to um, to environmental issues I think people are starting to realize that we have to at least the general um, the general Malaysians realize that oh, I think we have to kind of think, rethink about the connection we have with nature and how it's going to impact us because this is just a hint. I would like to think of COVID as just a hint. If, if business goes as usual, um, we would expect to see worse, honestly. Mm. Now, what, what else did you see in terms of the impact of the pandemic on uh, environmental activism in Malaysia? I mean, Malaysians are already kind of scared or kind of already against rallies and peaceful protests and add on to uh, the pandemic where we're not supposed to gather. I think that has definitely made activists at least to, you know, be a bit more, have or have to be a bit more creative with how they're trying to still continue advocating for these causes and I think we're still struggling on that honestly and do you find online platforms are use, uh, useful to rally people behind environmental issues you know because often the support that you get online doesn't necessarily translate into action on the ground or in you know our day-to-day -day activities yeah I think to an extent I think the internet and uh, the internet and social media is a very interesting place um, but often we get clouded in the own in our own circles of who we follow, who we don't follow, what we see. We ex we think people see what we see as well on social media, but essentially we don't. And you gotta hit the more general audience here, and which is what we're missing when we're doing things online. And that is the most crucial bit for me personally. I feel that's why. 
online yeah you can do some stuff to an extent but it's really going down to the communities interacting with them talking having a conversation with them is what makes this move or this motivation stronger okay why has it been such an uphill battle to get more people behind environmental causes a lot of our environmental issues have been known for years and yet we're still talking about it today um political will aside why do you think it's been challenging to get sustainable and wider public support well i guess the first um the first and most obvious reasons is there is a lack in uh, i mean there is no good leader who is actually advocating for environmentalism that is science based you know evidence based and um if there's no good leaders and there's no proper education and awareness to be spread to the masses and every single layer of the masses needs to have some form of environmental awareness and education so if if that is already gone if there's no leader there's no way for us to move forward but another factor i feel that's just as big is honestly i think people are just too busy trying to figure themselves out too busy to make ends meet to constantly people are constantly chasing something and they will get distracted and this causes this disconnect with the environment i also think people think that it's too difficult to be an environmentalist and they think that if it, if it's if they want to be an environmental activists for example they have to be like the perfect green queen they have to do every single thing right and for example like being vegan but i think there's an equal amount of people who are put off by that sudden change because nobody likes to be told what to do nobody likes that and it's actually just the simple act of thinking about how you consume and thinking how you can make that a little bit more friendly to planet earth for what she has provided us with that, that's why it's a bit difficult people think it's too big of an action when it, it really takes small little, little actions every day and we do we do want to get into you know those small little actions that people can take uh, in a bit but if we were to to look forward what are the priorities you'd like to see in addressing climate change and environmental issues Sure. Um in Malaysia uh from what I've seen so I'm I graduated from my degree about 3 years ago and I worked with a conservation NGO for 2 years so this is if you ask a more experienced conservationist they might give you a longer list but from what I see I would just like it's as simple as seeing malaysia trying to protect more land from being economically developed like i want to see how much money we can actually make through tourism and i mean properly manage science based nature tourism that can not only give long term benefits to the government the state government or federal government but also to communities living there because i don't think we have given this a proper chance everybody's thinking about short term um gains uh they see a forest yeah chop it down it's 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 meant to be logs not not a walk on a track or you know a nature retreat people don't see that value so i just like to see that change first of all this 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 is something that you should be able to pick up now that things have paused this is the time to switch 
And um, besides that, it would be better enforcement for wildlife-related matters. Um, it's time to really, really prioritize the protection of our biodiversity. Um, who is patrolling our forests? Uh, who's protecting our tigers? Who is, um, who is patrolling our oceans and our fishing zones? Do we know these people? Are there enough people? Can can the government provide more allocations to these kind of protections as well? So you don't get, it's time to really take the environment seriously, like how we got so mad about people, about the crispy rendang thing, mm. that we need the same anger <laughs> for environmental issues. You're very right there. Um, that's a good way to get people thinking about hang- how angry they yeah, need to be. Yeah. See, I almost said hangry. Yeah. <laughs> um, we need to be um, as passionate about our environment as our food, definitely. Um, Natasha, you also mentioned earlier that this pandemic is simply a hint of what might come, right? Do you think this is the chance for us to hit that reset button and, you know, make some drastic long-term changes to protect the environment? You know, how can we capitalize on the movement so that it doesn't become a missed opportunity? Yeah, it's definitely the correct time um, because we can sim- we can do this simply by reviving our major industries. And um, I just found out today that actually the tourism sector is the third largest contributor to our GDP. And um, we have incredibly diverse nature landscapes. And although sometimes mass tourism is uh, devastating to ecosystems, like coral reefs, for example, but um, this is the perfect time for us to reinvent these business models to be less carbon intensive, more mindful, more sustainable, and also to reap higher economic benefits. And the pandemic did show us that drastic change is possible. However, and how we're currently in the state of uh, Darurat, so we need that same energy. Uh, This is definitely... There are definitely steps that you can take, and this is definitely the time to do so. Natasha, you're also part of an initiative called My Hutan. Could you tell us more about this initiative and why it was started? Sure, sure. Uh, so My Hutan is actually an initiative by Undi18, but specifically to raise awareness and build political will towards implementing laws that require federal government to disburse money to state government to maintain or increase the size of protected areas. In short, we call them EFTs or Ecological Fiscal Transfers. So in Belanjawan 2021, the federal government has actually set aside RM70 million ringgit in our budget for EFTs, specifically for biological diversity. And we want to know how is this dispersed? Um, to which state? Uh, where's the transparency? Is how is this mechanism? Um, how is this mechanism working? And um, we understand that land is an asset that, well, to developers you need to carve it off uh, to serve the economy. But we believe that there must be a sustainable way to do this while achieving the international targets that Malaysia did sign up for at a federal level, which is to keep 50% of our forests intact. And by forests, we don't mean all any greeneries. We don't mean palm oil. We don't mean tim- timber, latex plantations. We mean actual forests. So um, this is what uh, my hutan is working towards. And we understand that 
If you ask any environmentalist, they'll give you the same sentence that uh, land is a state matter. And ultimately, it's uh, the state's decision to do whatever. So the best example I can give is the North Kuala Langat uh, Reserve and uh, how the state, gov state government's persistency to still de-gazette it despite having uh, a lot of voices against it. So my hutan, at my hutan, we help to raise awareness on the importance of forest conservation. Uh, so we organize talks and webinars, and especially to the youth, so that they know what to ask for from the government. So that's a lot of what my hutan does. You know, and speaking of the youth here, they, they've been such a, a driving force in environmental activism globally and locally, and uh, they're becoming more outspoken. Why, why is it important for young people to be involved in environmental activism? Yeah, yeah. Well, my favorite quote is, uh, it goes something like, uh, we do not inherit the earth from our ancestors, but we borrow it from our children. And what we have taken from the planet in the past is already done. And we have brought children into an almost barren world. And I think... This message can particularly be felt by youths because this is all the resources we have left and we have to do all it takes to make sure that everything is kept in balance. And the youths are ultimately the, the people who will face this terrifying reality and a tsunami, maybe quite literally too, of problems um, that we're about to face in the future. And this is why youths need to step in. And this is why youths need to step in now uh, with the amount of damage that's already done. There is no time to waste. And I really feel that whenever I speak to youths as well, whenever I talk to colleagues and peers, this is the energy that I feel, uh, which is absent in people who are already in the field or already working and just speaking of being involved, what can people do to play their part in protecting the environment? I would always say start small because once you start something small, for example, talking to your family, talking to your friends about or look at the amount of waste we're producing in the country, for example. This is something very relatable, very um, something that you can see as well. And once you start something by bringing a water bottle, for example, to the office or telling your office, don't serve any more of these single bottle, single use plastic bottles, we, we're going to use jugs, you know, and that in itself is a movement that will, I believe, um, trigger other initiatives because people are too distracted, too busy on their phones, that small things like this, people just, it's too convenient already, they don't want to think about it. And But the more you do these little things, you're going to have this communal effect or this butterfly effect that's going to multiply by the numbers. But it really has to start somewhere, anywhere. It could even be go, uh, not entirely going vegan, but having meatless Mondays. Have, imagine having a whole office be like, oh, today's Monday, we're going to have lunch, but we're not going to have meat altogether. I think that's that's already a good enough impact, which is, I feel a bit lacking in Malaysians. And it's really easy to just be like, mm, nobody's doing it, I'm not going to do it. Because it's it's we that's how we work. We are very social animals and we like to stick to social norms and status quo. So we follow the crowd. 
But what we need is more people to follow the right crowd. And it's it's up to us to design that right right crowd. Hmm. I think that's very well said. Um, Before we let you go, Natasha, would you have a message for listeners this Earth Day? I would say take five minutes a day to step back and see how your actions today impacted our planet. The planet has done so much for us. It's provided us with bountiful of resources. What can we do to make sure that those resources are still there for our children and our our chuchu, our chichi, and you know the future generation of Malaysia? All right. Thank you so much for joining us today, Natasha. That was Natasha Zulaika from My Hutan, uh, and she's talking to us about how the pandemic shouldn't lull us into a false sense of security, that things are going to get better. Um, mm-hmm. She did emphasize the need for our political leaders to take the lead in championing better environmental policies. But at the same time, we each have to do our part as well. And if I can just add, we really need to hold companies mm-hmm. and you know big uh, yeah. corporations accountable mm-hmm. for what they are doing. Because, you know, yes, it's lovely for us to plant a tree here and there, but the real polluters, the real the real mm. ones causing a lot of environmental degradations are the big corporations. Mm. Right, for and, sure. Yeah, and I think it's important that you brought up that, you know, you can always start with something small and build up from there, whether it's reducing uh, your use of single-use plastics or eating less meat. Find what's comfortable with you and encourage others around you to do so as well. Definitely. And we've, we, had a, we have a tweet, uh, poll running on our Twitter page at BFM Radio and we are asking you, are you worried or concerned about climate change and other environmental issues? So right now, 87.1% of y'all say yes, it's concerning. Okay, that's good. Um, 8.6% say it's not a priority and 4.3% of y'all say climate change is a myth. So I'm not sure if you're purposely <laughs> trolling, which is okay, I guess, or if you're, you know, a conspiracy theorist or something. Yeah. yeah, climate change is real. You know, we are, having, we are in the middle of a, cli- a crisis right Right now, yeah. just as um, Kavindra and he post, uh, posted a comment under the poll, he said it's a climate emergency, mm. but Malaysia is not taking it seriously. Yeah. And we also have a WhatsApp that came in um, from anonymously and she said climate change is not an earth issue. It's a human issue. Um, she gave an example. Look at Fukushima bounced back, flourished so beautifully mm. without humans. Yeah. I, yeah. Read the <laughs> and, and, you know, it's like, it just goes back to like how, you know, people uh, say like haze season mm-hmm. and it's not a haze season. It's a, it's a crisis, right? Mm-hmm. It, like mm-hmm. we shouldn't get used to it. Right. And, and, you know, to an extent we have, but because we expect it to happen every year, but you know, it's I think just that's like, a very good point. We, like, we, 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 yeah. we have reached a point where it's mm-hmm. so normal that now we can just say oh it's hay season yeah. as if you know it's like winter it's summer yeah. it's yeah. hay so yeah. that goes back to my point about holding corporations mm. accountable yes. right yeah because that that's a that's a corporation issue right the, I mean that's yeah. you know illegal burning yeah. the slash and right. burn yeah. practices exactly. right but we've all come to think ah oh, it's going to happen at this time mm. for this certain amount it's yeah. okay yeah. which is not mm. exactly, exactly as you said yeah well uh, you know on that note you know you can you can also get in touch with uh, my hutan um, and to find out you know what they're up to you know get involved with them um you know help tackle this this you know climate crisis on and you can do so on the usual social media platforms on instagram twitter and facebook uh, that's all the time uh, we have for uh you know today uh, unfortunately for this show uh, but you can continue to um 
share your, you can tweet us at BFM Radio or send us a WhatsApp at 018-789-8899. You can also look us up on Facebook on our page, BFM The Bigger Picture. You can drop us a message there. And if you missed any of today's conversation, you can download our podcast by heading to bfm.my forward slash daily digest or on the BFM app. Now, coming up uh, at 3 p.m., Juliet's going to stick around to talk about, you know, a very thorny issue that's drawn a lot of flack, and that's over SMK Convent uh, Bukit Nanas, right, right, JJ? That's right. So we all know that the, there's some issues surrounding mm. their land lease. Um, mm. It's not been renewed by the FT Land and Mines Department. So actually, we're going to be speak. I'm going to be speaking mm. to two um, members of the Alumni Association, so oh. former, former schoolgirls from uh, Convent Bukit Nanas. Mm. Uh, they're going to get us up to speed on where the case is right now and they're also going to share some memories you know from their own days at school and you know why why that place is so awesome so yeah that's coming (laughs) up after the 3pm news there you go so do stick around for that after the 3pm news once again I'm Hezra Lashraf alongside Juliet Jacobs and Dashran Johan this has been the Daily Digest on the Bigger Picture BFM 89.9 Thank you for listening to this podcast to find more great interviews go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes BFM 89.9, The Business Station.